Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 Watch podcast. I'm your host, Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host, Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? I'm pretty good. How are you today, Grace? Oh, can't complain. Thanks for asking. We have a holly jolly episode to talk about today. Uh, season 3, episode 13, The Greatest Gift. Directed by Jack Kenny, story by Mike Johnson and John Paul Nickel, teleplay by John Paul Nickel, original air date December 6th, 2011. That's right, baby, it's Christmas in May here on Warehouse 69. I know I've talked about this before, but the most notable thing about Warehouse 13 Christmas episodes is the time they had to play it because they were originally going to debut Stone Nados, a horrible, uh a horrible made-for-sci-fi movie, but it had things that too closely resembled the Boston Marathon bombing at the time, so mm. they had to pull it in a hurry. Ah. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and <sighs> so uh, the timing just happened to be right that playing Christmas episodes of Warehouse 13 and Eureka was the best thing they could come up with. Eh, that makes sense. Literally, like, four hours. Yeah, no, that... That makes sense. Like, what the hell do you think it's like, like... Because you heard about the Jackie Chan movie where he was a window washer at the Twin Towers. And then he has the thwart a terrorist plot that's going to happen there. I don't think I heard about that, but I... I mean, I remember the, uh, the Spider-Man thing. Yeah, so like, I... So I'm... I'm looking at, a. The Wikipedia page titled "List of Entertainment Affected by the September 11th Attacks." Right, uh, a very important page. Yeah, canceled films. A Jackie Chan film called Nosebleed about a window washer on the World Trade Center who foiled a terrorist plot was due to start filming on September 11, 2001. Uh, Snopes questioned well, that the Snopes questioned the suggestion that this was any kind of narrow escape, and suggests it wasn't that close, but. Yeah, like, if it was scheduled to start recording, like, were they there? <laughs> yeah, Snopes says probably not, but they were in fact planning a... They were in fact planning a film, that particular film. Okay, yeah, I mean, I guess you do have to scrap it since uh, it would be pretty awkward to air it ever. Yeah. And, like... I know you I know you have the capability to CG in these buildings. They're just big rectangles. Yeah, but like you're not <laughs> going to be able to air it. You know, it's like Yeah. Yes. Let's see also, there are plans to have a sequel to Forrest Gump, but after the attacks, Eric Roth, Robert Zemeckis, and Tom Hanks said that the story was no longer relevant. Hmm. I wonder what that means. Like, oh, okay, because we were all being whipped into a war frenzy right at that point, mm. and Forrest Gump was ostensibly critical of Vietnam, mm-hmm. and like, oh, uh, yeah, we certainly couldn't have used more critical uh, views on war right mm. around 2001. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it had a lot more to do with the underlying money than, like, the politics of it. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I'm guessing the taste in people's uh, will to bankroll a movie that might be critical of a war effort in 2002 uh, 
It probably dried up pretty quick. Yeah. God, I am... The ending to the 2002 animated film Lilo and Stitch was changed from blah 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 hijacking a, hijacking a Boeing 747 to chase down an alien spaceship. Uh, like, th- there's stuff like that, and then there's stuff like they had to cut a the scene from The Club. Incredibles where a building was destroyed, um, and instead replaced it with a scene where they're rescuing people from a burning building. Yeah, I mean, I get that, yeah. like... You don't want to have, like, scenes that are going to be particularly upsetting to your audience when you're doing a big-budget Pixar film. Sure. It's, yeah, it's more like how weirdly close it was, like... Oh, yeah. Like, I, it's it's bizarre to me to be watching Disney animated comedy film Lilo and Stitch and have to... And, like, someone comes in and is like, hey, we, we have to cut the scene where they hijack a Boeing 747. Right. And everyone's like, oh, yep, you're right. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you gotta go. 9-11 just happened. <laughs> Never Anyways. Forget. Anyways. We should probably start talking about the episode. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we open and it's Christmas in Florida. And, or Christmas Eve, I guess. In Fort Lauderdale. And Pete and Micah are dressed as power company employees. Yep, they are, uh, with, they say they're with Florida Power later on. And basically, um, they are, there are some evil Christmas decorations. There is a, an evil Rudolph's nose that makes the Christmas decorations alive and evil. They are being attacked by a, a dog wearing one of those, uh, when the Grinch stole Christmas antler headbands that got TF'd into a reindeer, uh, a statue of a character of a caroler becomes a real boy and starts beating Pete with a book. Uh, the statue laughs evilly. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they just. I think they just wanted this establishing shot to sort of to sort of remind you of the snag bag and tag nature of their job. Yeah. Because I think they filmed this because they wanted for one thing people who had never seen Warehouse 13 to understand it, but also people who had just gotten through with this uh season finale that just happened. Yeah, who uh yes, yes, they still do the warehouse thing. They even do the warehouse thing festively. When it's Christmas. Right. <sighs> Which is exactly what happened in our last Christmas episode. They were stuck doing where the warehouse thing on Christmas. Which, uh, Micah spends this entire episode very worked up about getting home to her family. Which is understandable, since if you'll recall, she and her father were estranged for a while, and they recently reconciled. Yep. And so, and so she's excited to that. She promised her dad she'd help trim the tree. Uh, uh, yeah, once they've snagged the, uh, the Rudolph nose from the roof, uh, everything's transforming back to normal. Yeah, and the, a little the, girl comes out and gives Pete a candy cane. It's, it's a little weird that the, the, the statue that d- just kind of turns into a human and starts beating up Pete turns back like did 
Did they kill someone? I mean... It's hard to say whether or not that was ever, like, a full person or yeah. just, like, a statue given life. Yeah, and this was the cheapest way to film a moving statue, is right. to dress some kid in a top hat and a coat. Right. I mean... Because, yeah, if you think back to the story of Frosty, clearly, you know, yeah, it Frosty would be killing was clearly Frosty. alive. Frosty yeah. clearly fucking died. Yeah, so it seems maybe. Maybe they just killed someone. Uh, Pete repeatedly licks this candy cane in an exaggerated fashion uh, in front of this little girl. And he never unwraps it. Yeah. So it's just like a candy cane wrapped in cellophane that he's licking. Yeah, he's just licking the plastic. Like, I'm pretty sure this little girl knows how you eat a candy cane, and she thinks you're weird, Pete. Yeah, weird or like, you know, playing it up, I guess? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he was in the middle of saying he was one of Santa's helpers. Yeah, which, you know... In the customer relations department? I mean... If you if you do electrical if you do electrical work you are in a way helping Santa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, can't do his job without electricity. I don't know. I feel like Santa can do his job without electricity. I yeah, I guess I guess the implication is that he did. Right. <laughs> Depending on, you know, which revisionist Christmas stories you believe with the the rocket-powered sleds or what have you, but yeah. Uh yeah, the rocket-powered sled is in the Eureka episode. Oh, of course. <laughs> what do, do they like? Get a, a do they get a DOD contract to build a sled for Santa or something? Uh, so did you meet the Australian guy? That doesn't ring a bell, but that doesn't mean no. Okay, he's uh. His specialty is animals mm -hmm. and like just every kind of animals, plants too, but mostly animals. Yeah. And he is very into Christmas and he dresses up like Santa and has a rocket sled and like a special reindeer that apparently can fly. Uh huh. Through pure magic, of course. Yeah. And uh, things go wrong and. He accidentally plunges the city into an ice age. Huh. Until they manage to shut off the, uh, the snow that is falling at an alarming rate. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's the Eureka Christmas episode. One of them. I think they have more than one. I you'd think so. They, uh, they ran for a while. Yeah, and, like, Christmas episodes are easy... And you need to have them on your network. Yeah. And, like, a lot of sci-fi shows, it's more awkward to do a Christmas episode than Warehouse 13 or, uh, or Eureka. Yeah. Yeah, like, like Eureka Warehouse... has a lot of family focus. Yeah. And Warehouse 13, it makes sense that this is, that this is the time of year when, like, holiday-based weird shit would happen. Right. Yeah, it's not at all surprising that there is holiday-based weird shit to me. Yeah, like, they have they have a whole Christmas aisle at the warehouse, apparently. Yep. 
Which, this is the only time we've ever seen it, and the only time we will ever see it again. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they claim that this episode is non-canon, but considering it takes place mostly in, like, a pocket dimension, sure, yeah. I guess. Yeah, like, there certainly is a Christmas Isle, but, you know, most of it does take place in some kind of weird brush-induced alternate reality. Right. And the warehouse is big enough, it's not surprising that we've never seen the Christmas Isle just in passing. Yeah. It's a big warehouse. But yeah, you do think someone would have mentioned, like, you know, there is, I guess we have that snow globe that makes things cold that we saw Claudia use that one time, but there's no necessarily mention of, a, of the Christmas Isle it came from. Right. So, uh... Back home after they back at the warehouse, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they we see Artie and Claudia, and Claudia's trying to give Artie this uh big red jacket. Yeah, oh, yeah, and like because, um, I don't know why it it's because it's Ar- not the sort of jacket you get someone. Well, Claudia's reasoning is. Already made plans to go to Vegas with Vanessa. Hugo also wanted to come with. So they're all going. Claudia is doing her thing where she wants Artie to dress up so that, you know, Vanessa will be impressed and like him. You know, she's like, Artie, you dress in, quote, Symphony of Brown all the time. Uh, True. She is like, this is not the first time she's tried to give Artie, like, a nicer looking coat, usually for Vanessa reasons. Yeah, she's all into helping Artie dress better for, uh, for his, uh, his love interest character thing. Yeah, it's very sweet that they try to, they try to help each other with their love lives in, yeah, their own way. Right. And, like, Claudia's not stumbling at it nearly as badly as Artie did, so there's that. Yeah, Artie's trying, but yeah. (laughs) And, uh... So there's that, uh, I think it's Artie that says, you know, they'll think I'm a fruitcake? Yeah, probably. Which, uh, yeah, double meeting there. Yeah. It's... Also, who goes to Vegas on Christmas? Well, it's warm. Yeah. And the city probably isn't nearly as shut down as you would think compared to other cities. Uh... I guess a bunch of people have the time off and nothing better to do. Yeah, like it's you know if you don't like the if you don't like the cold so much, you might as well go to the middle of a desert. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, uh, it it is weird. They'll think I'm a fruitcake. Both of the literal, you know, he's making a Christmas joke, but is he worried they'll think he's gay? Like, they know you're not gay, Artie. Come on. Right. Yeah, and that jacket doesn't seem to, like, suggest that anyway. It's like a jacket with collars. Yeah. It's bright red. Yeah. It's definitely loud. Yeah, it's it's festive, but, like, it looks good on him. He, like, his later crack that, uh, you know, he shows up wearing it and he he makes a joke about, well, you know, his remark that he looks like a valet is, um, more correct. That's pretty apt, yeah. Yeah. He does. He doesn't. I think he wears it well. I think he's, you know, he's the kind of guy who can pull off a, a bright red uh, blazer. Yeah, 
So uh, they send Pete out to uh, set Rudolph's nose on the shelf. And of course, Pete being Pete can't do it without uh, knocking a bunch of artifacts off the shelf and just like picking them up and tossing them back on. Yep. Again, mesh screens. Come on. Right. <laughs> like it's. Yeah, we. It's very funny that they had to lampshade this at the first episode. Otherwise, like. Yeah. It... It's a problem that would have been solved very easily, but it keeps being a problem. Yeah, there are so many there are so many big problems that would be saved if they put mesh screens on the shelves. Right. There would have been several there would have been a lot fewer close calls. Pete wouldn't have had to go through the entire events of this episode. Yeah, it, there are Several episodes that simply wouldn't exist if there weren't if there were guards in place to keep things from falling off the shelves. Yeah, yeah. And so Pete, he's walking along. Uh, in the foreground, I think it says there's some convincing dreidels spinning away. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a very CG dreidel. Yeah. And uh, yeah, long story short, Pete trips over some shit and. Uh, Next thing we know, he's wandering around, and uh, he sees McPherson and two goons, who I don't think we've seen before. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've never seen these guys before, and uh, I don't think we will ever again, either. Yeah, given, the, given that they only exist in the weird pocket dimension Pete finds himself in through this episode. Oh, Genie Baring? Hmm. Oh no, that's uh Oh yeah, Micah's mom, who Pete calls. Uh alright, that makes sense. I don't see these characters listed. Oh okay, Sandra Bartender. No, they <laughs> They didn't even name these guys in I the thought... warehouse wiki. Damn. Stone Cold. I thought they got names, but I did not bother to write them down. Pete base wanders into uh, Artie's office. What was once Artie's office, but is now... But instead of Artie, it is McPherson and a couple of hired goons. Uh, well, hired goons. I mean, they, they also work for the warehouse. Um, yeah, they, they seem to be reasonably normal warehouse agents. Yeah, yeah it, it's just fun to say hired goons. Um, oh yeah for sure and uh so there's a lot of like pete's pete is just constantly on the offensive he makes no effort to figure out what's going on here he's just like mcpherson you're dead fuck you you asshole yeah. how could you i hate you so much uh, pete charges headlong into this when it should be immediately obvious to him what happened yeah or at least like figure out what year it is or like uh, yeah like pete right. is it's really annoying what happens to Pete here. Like, he doesn't really piece together what happens until it already explains it to him. Um, right. He He's busting out, like, just pure himbo energy. It's, it's wild how he's like, he shows up and he's like, McPherson, but you're dead. 
and uh, Helena, and, and, and is she well? Like, he doesn't even try to figure out what the hell is going on. He is not interested in that. He's just, he just figures that if he's angry at everyone, eventually he'll find someone who knows what's going on. Which is strange, because, like, no one he's met is even anyone he knows except Mc, McPherson. Yeah. Uh, but McPherson suggests they take him to the bed and breakfast, uh, and he's like, oh, great, Lena knows me. Yeah. Okay, though there, there was a whole thing where, because, uh, like, this McPherson, you know, he's, he's never met Pete before in his life. He has no idea who he is. Um, there's a, there's a brief, there's a bit where they're like, hey, this guy's acting weird. Do we think he's under the effect of an artifact? And so they ask the questions, including you, have you smelled fudge when there is no fudge? Right. Which is, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, this this episode sure does do a lot of callbacks to uh, pretty much everything that has happened so far. Yep, including the first episode, which makes sense for reasons we'll see. And uh, Pete is still mad about H.G. Wells. He is still just red mad and nude about the time Helena did the thing with the trident. And right. you know what? I'm mad about it too, but for different reasons. Uh, yeah, and so... It's hard to say when this episode is supposed to have happened. Yeah. Like, I think there's certain things that suggest that it happened uh, not exactly in chronological order to what we're listening to or yeah. what we've been talking about. Yeah, because it doesn't mention much that really happened in season three. It's, yeah, it and, seems like it kind of happened between season two and three, if anything. Yeah, at one point, uh, Steve Jinx is mentioned. Yeah, uh, late in the episode, and they just say that he's not there. Mm-hmm. And like they say it vaguely, but you wouldn't say that about somebody who's dead. Who's dead, or because like. Even in the last episode, it's implied that, like, Claudia is going to use the metronome to bring him back to life, but, like, they would talk about it more if that was the case. Right. It suggested that he went home or something. Yeah. So it suggests that it's either before he defected, or air quotes defected. Yeah. Uh, or after they bring him back to life, presumably with the metronome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it clearly doesn't exist right after the season finale, mm -hmm. because that is the one time that I think we can eliminate. Yeah, especially si yeah, especially since the warehouse fucking exploded. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, they probably weren't snag bag and tagging uh, after the warehouse exploded. Yeah. For As we'll learn yeah. in the next season. For instance, the warehouse is... <laughs> IMDB goof section. The warehouse is not exploded in this one. <laughs> yes. It, it's normal. Warehouse surprisingly unexploded. You would expect the warehouse to be exploded, but it is not. Incorrectly <laughs> regarded as goof. This is actually warehouse parking. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So, we go to meet Lena, who, um, also does not recognize Pete. But she does mention that he has no aura. Yeah, that that's interesting. I mean, I think it's meant to show that he's, you know, 
from another world or whatever, but it's strange to me that he would have no aura. Yeah, like he had such a strong aura normally. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pete is like, "Oh, you love my aura. You flirted with my aura. I'm, I'm big aura having Pete. Everyone loves my aura, but he, <laughs> he doesn't have one because he's in this other timeline, I guess." Yeah, it, it's strange, but uh, I don't think anyone should be particularly supli- surprised. Lena doesn't recognize him. It's pretty clear what's going on here. Yeah, Pete is, however, very surprised that yeah. Lena is not willing to cooperate with him. Yeah, Pete. Again, it's it's frustrating because like Pete refuses to try and figure out what's going on. He like he refuses to like even do anything with the evidence that's being presented to him. Yeah, he even acknowledges it and then continues ignoring it. Yeah, like he's like, just. He's just angry. Lena visibly recoiled when he started to move toward her because she thinks he's some sort of dangerous criminal who broke into the warehouse. Yeah, which mind you, Pete continues doing this. Like, he continues to be, like, creepy, angry, and dangerous to everyone, to these people who clearly do not know him. Right. And Pete just straight up says, Lena, you know me. You know, like, the Lena I know would... Uh, wouldn't think I'm dangerous at all. Like, it, it's so strange that this happens and he doesn't change tack. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like, he doesn't... Several people have told him to his face, I don't know who you are, and he just doesn't, like, right. process and that. And finally, one of them is someone he trusts. Yeah, like, Lena here has no real reason to lie to him. She certainly doesn't have a reason to... Like, like the Lena he knows has no reason to do this to him, you know? Right. Pete keeps claiming that everyone is being whammied by McPherson. Yeah, which, sure, Lena's been zapped by McPherson before, but it's, uh, it's bizarre. Like, it's, it's frustrating. It, like, he... Right, I think it made for some gags later and Mm. that's why they kept going with it but it doesn't make sense for pete to do this yeah like it's it's obnoxious uh but long long story short pete uh snags a bowl of candy and smashes it over the uh warehouse agent's head yep and fucking runs uh uh, takes the guy's tesla and points at lena to get away right Uh, but then uh says he's doesn't he like announce where he's going and then toss Lena the Tesla? I think so. Like like he doesn't even keep the Tesla. He just tosses it to her and runs off. I guess it's bizarre. It's uh... Oh, uh he explains that McPherson was selling artifacts on the side and apparently Mrs. Frederick is hanging out just around the corner. Yeah, and she shows up to, you know, be there to be at there at McPherson. Well, she doesn't even like announce her presence. Yeah, yeah. she's just there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pete runs off to find Micah. First, he tries calling her house. Uh, 
because he knows she'd be home for Christmas. Yeah. But instead, uh, he gets her mom, who tells him, you know, hey, stop fucking with me. Like, my husband is dead, and I haven't talked to my daughter in years. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. I don't know who you are, but this is a really weirdly hurtful phone call, and my daughter's a federal agent, and she'll shoot you or whatever. Right. Uh, strangely enough, this is also the opinion Micah has. Yeah, Micah has I'm a serious- I'm a federal agent and I will shoot you. Yeah, Micah has a serious case of cop brain in this episode. Yeah. It's bizarre. So, I did want to notice something. So, you know those president pictures that have been in, in every government building so far? Yeah. Well, here, it's a picture of Dick Cheney. Oh, wow. Yeah, because, uh, well- they failed. If Pete wasn't born, then they wouldn't have prevented the president from being assassinated, which at the which in two thousand I would have been George Bush. So in that case, uh, yeah, Cheney would have likely gotten re-election. Yeah, uh, since that's a pretty common outcome. Yeah, esp- yeah, especially in you know two thousand nine. I didn't even notice. Yeah, I because like I was. Yeah, because it's, it's blurry. It's kind of in the background. It only shows up on screen once. I had to rewind and, like... Because, like, it's a white guy. And so I'm thinking... Well, there's only, like... It's, it's a white guy. It's not George Bush. Not enough hair to be George Bush. And it couldn't be Joe Biden. So, like... Now, in the pilot, the president was on screen. And he was just, like, president man, wasn't he? Yeah, like, yeah, I don't think we, yeah, we didn't see him for very long, I don't think he was, I'm pretty sure he was white. Yeah, but he was just, like, some generic president man. Yeah. Understandable, I think television ages very, much more poorly if you use a specific president stand-in. Yeah, it's, yeah, unless you're, like, specifically, unless you're specifically commenting on that president, so. Yeah, it's, right. Because like if that, you're doing a political commentary, you can use the president's likeness. If yeah. not, you should probably just use someone that looks presidential enough. Yeah, exactly. Like this is yeah this this is president as president as McGuffin. This is you know oh they've stolen the president's rubies or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But this implies that it was in fact George Bush. Right. Which they, I'm pretty certain, never made an attempt to make it look like George Bush. No, but, uh... But... Yeah, like, the episode aired in 2009, and it was a white guy, so, like... Uh, there's only, like... Because usually... Oh, yeah, that would have been the Obama administration, right? Yeah. He was elected in 08. Yeah. Yeah, like... So yeah. Although it probably was filmed before then, yeah, because so, pilots kind of yeah. languish for a while before they find their way to yeah, screen. Exactly, and until two thousand and eight, you could just cast some old white guy as the president, and it would work. Right. Uh. Uh. But uh, so yeah, we've yeah. Regardless, yeah, like it is, it is made pretty clear, I guess, that uh. uh that was George Bush, and uh, yeah. Now we have President Cheney in this in this weird alternate timeline. Oh, that 
I can only imagine what that would mean for the world. Yeah, like, this like, is clearly the bad future. Um, right. Uh, like, this, this is the darkest An assassinated timeline. President Bush and an ascension of Cheney to power, yeah. and then probably two terms out of Cheney. I'd be surprised if that weren't the case. Yep. Good. Like, just imagine that replacing the Obama administration. Yeah. Not that it was all sunshine and rainbows under Obama, but like, cool, it could be a lot worse. Yeah. It's. I appreciate the show for that much, at least. Like, this is the darkest timeline. <laughs> like, they focus on the personal. They focus more on the personal, but like, this is the shitty timeline wherein Dick Cheney is president. Right. Uh, wherein we got the Bush years too. Yeah, and Pete, despite the fact that Micah's mom didn't recognize him and Lena didn't recognize him, now goes and approaches uh, Micah as if she's going to recognize him. Yep, he just kind of bursts into her office, starts saying weird, threatening, angry man <laughs> things, including like, well, I know about your secret high school sweetheart. And she's like, ah, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're a creepy stalker who read by Facebook. Yeah, he enters her office by dropping one of her uh, subordinates' uh, ID badges on her desk and saying, like, oh, they didn't train him very well against pickpocketing at the academy, did they? <laughs> like, uh, So, like, Micah has cop brain in this. She is constantly, like... She threatens several times, like, I can, I can put you somewhere they'll never find you. I will, like... Right. She basically tells she, him, Pete, I will ship you off to Guantanamo Bay. Right. Like, she says, uh, she suggests that she could kill him. And then when she eventually relents and goes along with him, she says it's because it's less paperwork than killing. Him. Yeah. Like, which, sure, <laughs> is probably true if you're part of Dick Cheney's Secret Service. But, like, <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Luckily, no one ever knew he was born, so, like, someone would have to be looking for them to have to do anything about it. I don't think anyone in this world knows Pete exists. Well, then how the hell did he get on a plane to Washington, D.C.? I mean, that's a, that's a good question, I guess he, but that's I, just I travel guess he, magic. I guess he would still have his ID on him? Because it's not like... No, he didn't. That's made explicit. They searched him. He did not have his ID. Oh, uh, he didn't have the candy cane. He did not have his ID. Right. First, uh, <laughs> for decency's sake, uh, television magic forced him to be transported with his clothing on, but not any of his personal effects. Yeah, nothing in the pockets. Yep. Uh, which, since this is a, a bit of a journey of the mind, I suppose it makes sense? I don't know. Whatever. Um, but basically, Micah's like, you know, fuck off. You know, fuck off. Get out of here before I, you know, have you arrested. Um, he leaves. And then he follows her to a bar where he continues doing this. And she eventually relents. Right. Uh, I recommend do not. But, like, clearly Pete's pretty desperate here. And, uh, yeah, he explains 
Micah's sense of endless wonder at everything in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, because obviously no one would believe you if you started telling them about the warehouse. Yeah, it's it's a whole... Micah had trouble believing it in the first place when she was there. Yeah, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, long story short, uh... Pete needs... Pete needs, uh... Micah's help to get Artie out of prison. Yeah, and in uh, fact, he earlier says, like, in the bed and breakfast, okay, yeah, there ahead. was an important line where, uh... Lena says, do you really think you're gonna stop McPherson by yourself? And Pete's like, I'm not gonna be by myself. So his goal right now is to assemble the A-team so he can uh, storm the castle and uh, save the day. Yeah. So yeah, they he discovers that Artie is in jail and was put there by Micah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eh. Pete, yeah, Pete says, like, hey, do you know where Artie Nielsen is? And she's like, oh, do you mean Arthur Weisfeld? I know exactly where he is, because I arrested him, like, three years ago. Yep. Which, yeah, apparently, he gets arrested uh, snagging the bloodstone, what he, nor- what he gets off uh, without a hitch in the pilot. Yeah. Because Pete wasn't there. Yeah. Pete, yeah, because Pete wasn't there to help. He doesn't. He's not there to get his vibe and uh, do the thing. I guess. Yeah. And uh, and then there's yeah, and uh, so uh, as Pete explains the thing to Artie, which he's looking uh grizzled, being in jail and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, he starts explaining it. Says where he was in the warehouse. And Artie knows the artifact immediately. Yeah. It's, uh... Philip Van Doren Stern's Upholstery Brush, author of The Greatest Gift, which was adapted into It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, fantastic. And... <sighs> Micah obviously explains that to us because she's the big-time book nerd. Yeah, she's... Yep, she uh, knows... According to Pete says, she knows a, a bazillion languages and her brain is huge. Uh, she works out at the library because she's right. a huge nerd, and uh, so Mike. Yeah, so this is this whole conversation takes place in like the some kind of interrogation room, I guess, and uh, a whole interrogation room situation. And uh, already, Micah tries to you know, hey, I'm the arresting officer. Can't I check him out for 24 hours or whatever? And the guy's like, no, you need to get a judge for that. And I'm the arresting officer. Can't I take him out for a field trip? Yeah, I need him for um crime reasons. And the guard is like, no, you need like a judge and shit. There's there's procedures. Um Yeah, no one has ever asked me that. And also no. Yeah, like this is a weird <laughs> thing to want. And also like there's there's a process for this sort of thing. Like this is you have to know. These people, you have to keep track of where the prisoners are. That's, that's what prisoner means. Uh, but, but a, a note from Mrs. Frederick comes in just in time saying, you know, we're pulling, I'm pulling a string, let him go for 24 hours. Right. Mrs. Frederick with her magical, uh, government contacts. Yep. 
that can just get her anything she wants. Mm -hmm. So clearly, uh, Pete's story was at least interesting enough that she wanted to learn more about what was going on. Yeah, because if nothing else, Mrs. Frederick really does not like McPherson. Yeah, it seems that she basically tolerates McPherson because he's in charge. <sighs> it seems weird to me. It seems yeah. like as the caretaker of the warehouse, she should have a little more control over whether or not McPherson's in charge. But yeah. apparently that's a regent thing. Yeah, it's... The, the chain of command in the warehouse seems weird. But... Yeah, I mean... It looks like regents get to choose staffing and, like, you know, it, I can sort of understand why Mrs. Frederick is not super involved in staffing decisions, but you would think her feedback would be pretty meaningful to the regents. Yeah, like, the fact, yeah, it's, it's weird, it's... Since she has a deep personal connection to the warehouse and all. Yeah. So, and, like, it's it's been demonstrated that the warehouse has preferences for people. Yeah. Like, Helena enters the warehouse and can smell the, uh... The apples. Smell the cinnamon. Yeah, the apples, because, uh, the warehouse likes her. Uh. So, they get already out, and, uh, we learn that, uh, McPherson shot already up with the... With uh, the juice that makes you disintegrate when you're in the warehouse. Just like uh, was done to McPherson in the regular timeline. Mm. Uh, and yeah, uh, so there's a whole chase RD scene. you won't be able to enter. Yeah, uh, there's a whole... I think there's a whole... Uh, this happens later, I think. But at some point there's a whole chase scene where they... Is, so... McPherson is you know, watching Artie's jail cell because he knows Pete's going there. And Mrs. Frederick shows up and asks a bunch of questions like, why the hell are you doing this? Yeah, it's pretty suspicious, don't you think? But I think this happens later. Because the next thing in my notes uh, is uh, we get to meet Claudia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they go to where Claudia is staying yeah. and they bust her out of her psychiatric institution, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I thought it was... Does Micah just flash her Secret Service badge? I kind of read it as they go to the, the apartment she was living in. Oh, yeah, because she wasn't institutionalized when we met her last time yeah. around. Yeah, she has spent time institutionalized, but uh, no, she's just living in an apartment, like, looking for Artie. Right, but she does have the full Peppy Sylvia wall. Yes, like, I yeah, I think the entire, uh, I think her entire... All four walls are, like, plastered in, like, who is Arthur Weisfeld? Right. Uh. And, yeah, because they, they need Claudia to get into the warehouse, uh. And, she also has, like, sitting in her room, plugged in when they walk in. Like, she didn't know these people were coming. She has two forks jammed into a lamp yep. socket. Yeah, and that she picks up and uses to, to tase Artie. Because, yeah, recall that Claudia knows who Artie is in the sense that she, he was masquerading as a professor that made her brother disappear. Right. Uh, uh, I, I've got some home defense advice for anyone out there listening. 
Just use a kitchen knife. Yeah. Don't make a bizarre corded taser. Yeah. It's a bad idea. Don't, don't stick You're two... You're likely to hurt yourself. Don't stick two forks into a lamp. <laughs> uh... Hot home defense tips here. Uh, th- yeah, like... Ah... Uh... It's not even on an extension cord. She's got, like, six feet. Yeah, and it's plugged into, like, something high up on the wall, like a light, a light bulb socket high up on the wall? It's, it's hilarious. I'll give it that. But, right. um, and I think right after they get Claudia with them, that's when uh, they find out that uh, the warehouse agents are after them. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah. So they managed to convince Claudia to come with him by saying, hey, do you want to come to this weird fucked up warehouse where you can get the thing that'll bring your brother back? She says, yes. And she's yes. like, oh, you're talking about warehouse 13? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so the goons show up, and then there's some kind of chase scene where, um, yeah, so then there's a chase scene where they, they wind up hiding in some lockers and opening them just in time to, like, Hit these agents in the face. Yep. And then Pete sticks his head out and says Shabungi. <laughs> and then Mike. Of course. And then Micah does the same thing and says Shabungi too. The. Re- <laughs> this prompts Claudia to ask how long they've been partners. Yeah. It, uh, Micah responds three hours. Pete responds three years. Yeah, it's good. Uh. And uh. Oh, uh, before that happens, McPherson uses the, uh, the riding crop to make Mrs. Frederick, uh, do what he'd like her to do. Mm. Which in this case is go into the bronzer. Yep. Uh, yeah, so Mrs. Frederick shows up behind McPherson, says, you know, you're supposed to be looking for Shakespeare's lost folio. Why are you doing this? And, uh... Yeah, and this raises an interesting suggestion to me, at least, Yeah, that uh, the riding crop got into the hands of A to Z Technologies and, uh, what's his name, uh, by them being sold to him by McPherson. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where a lot of his artifacts came from. Yeah, it's, it would make sense. We know that... Even in this timeline, McPherson was selling artifacts off. Right. So it suggests to me that if he had artifacts that he knew were particularly useful, like the riding crop was useful enough that he kept it close at hand in case he should need it. Yeah. So maybe, you know, it, the other artifacts we see him use are artifacts he attempted to sell, like the sword. Yeah, that makes sense. Although I don't know if he ever actually intended to sell the sword or if he just uh, yeah, he was found, doing a bit yeah, where he cut it, off a guy's head. Yeah, found it useful to be invisible with a magic sword. Uh, there's also a, a point earlier where Pete, when Pete's tied up by McPherson, says something about, you know, oh, you're, someone's using Harriet Tubman's symbol to mess with me. And McPherson says, like, oh, we've been looking for that one for years or whatever. Oh, okay. Something like that. He implies he doesn't know where it is. But Maybe it's in Artie's bag of tricks upon him 
ending up leaving the warehouse because he got arrested. Possibly, or... Uh, that is one thing that sort of bothered me. Why couldn't they bail Artie out? Yeah. I, I know he's accused of, like, being involved with the assassination of the president. But, like, sure, yeah, like, sure, like, they've... Miss, Miss Frederick made a treason charge disappear by changing his name. Like, kid. Right. Because <laughs> it's important. All you have to do is suggest that he was there for uh, spooky clandestine reasons, yeah, like, you know? like Yeah, like, I was, yeah, like, I was there with the NSA uh, doing my president appreciating. Like, whatever. Right. Yeah, like, it it seems weird, because he obviously wasn't the one doing the stabbing in that case. Yeah. Like, I don't know, it seems weird that the warehouse would just go, Oh, our agent's in jail, I guess, whatever. Yeah, bye. Um. <sighs> Have fun, see you never. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bizarre, it's... But it could also mean, because remember, McPherson had Harriet Tubman's thimble in uh, the main timeline, so maybe he's saying that, like, I don't know where it is, I certainly haven't stolen it. Yeah, maybe it's his ace up his sleeve. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Uh, meanwhile, we, uh, now that we've got the band back together, uh, already everyone is there at the Warehouse 9 entrance. Or the entrance that was originally to Warehouse 9? Yeah, apparently the secret entrance, uh, which we've seen before and we'll see again. I mean, McPherson and HG leave through this uh, entrance. Uh, it's, it's the secret emergency escape entrance. Yeah, it is a... Which yep. has a couple of magical safeguards because like obviously it's not another umbilicus yeah uh it, which yeah it, ideally you would want it to be yeah you know it looks like a bunch of other a bunch of rocks um if you want it is based on the door like it's what inspired the tale of alibaba and his 30 thieves i think basically nobody have to say open sesame in arabic which micah of course knows how to say but Artie doesn't right. for some reason. Is it like you should know the password to your secret door, Artie? Right. Uh, Micah claims to know this because the first edition uh, uh, had it in Arabic in there. The first edition of... Uh, the story would have been all, all in Arabic? Right. Like, isn't that a truly ancient story? Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, yeah, I guess it is true. Like... Sure, I don't know why her bookstore would have a copy of it in Arabic or whatever. Yeah, it must be a hell of a and like must be a hell of a bookstore there in Colorado Springs. Right, she doesn't claim to speak Arabic. She claims to just know Open Sesame in Arabic. Yeah. But like, she normally just knows every language ever. Yeah, it's whenever it, it's convenient for the plot. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, anyway, and like. It's mostly weird to be that Artie's like, well, this is our secret back entrance. Um, we'll have to find another way in unless one of you happens to know the secret password, which I don't know for some reason. I know what it is, but, like, I can't Google it. Right. I know where the secret entrance is. I know roughly what the password ought to be. 
But I never even considered having to break into the warehouse ever. I, yeah, I never considered having to sneak in or like. I, like oh, before this, they had to break into the bed and breakfast to find the crystals so that oh, Artie wouldn't melt immediately. Right, right. The ma- yeah. Oh, the magic necklace is going to keep him from getting melted. It's not magic, it's science, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Lena catches them, but she, uh,. Or reveal she's on Artie's side because she remembers Artie. Yeah. Like, Artie did work for the warehouse. It it seems weird to me that they would be worried about Artie breaking out of jail. They should be applauding him. Yeah. Like, you know, you know he was in there for, like, completely reasonable reasons. He was there for work. Like... Right. <laughs> uh... Yeah, like, it... I mean, I get why McPherson isn't happy about it, mm-hmm. but like, well, sort of. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's weird. Uh, so they get in. Uh, Claudia is like hacking some kind of passcode thing, uh, and she's like, "Oh, stand back! I'm going to be awesome," or whatever. Uh, a line that already echoes later. And they get yeah. into Warehouse 13, where Artie gives them the Welcome to Warehouse 13 speech. Uh, there was also a segment with three doors where Pete uses his vibe to choose the correct door. Uh, he should have used his vibe to ask whether or not that was the correct door and then changed his answer. <laughs> uh, like, I'll be honest, I would, it would rule if. If like already like stuck his <laughs> head, it's like yeah, like wait a minute, these are Monty Hall's doors, right? <laughs> like that would be really good. Behind two doors are goats; they kill you. <laughs> uh, uh, Monty Hall, game show host. Uh, uh, that would God, they should. That would be a really good bit, and it's mad- it makes me mad that the D- show doesn't do this. Director's cut. Go back, fix the Monty Hall doors. Yeah, <laughs> everything else, all the other weird shit, all the times Pete's creepy, uh, and how they <laughs> fucked over Helena, whatever. But right, the door take g- no other feedback from us. Yeah. But the door gag. Think about it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so they get into Warehouse Thirteen. Um. Pete has a whole big speech about found family and how uh, Micah's like my sister and Artie's like our dad and Claudia's like Artie's daughter and it's a whole thing because Warehouse 13 is ultimately a story about found family and sometimes also Steve is there. (laughs) Right. Uh. Yeah, so they, uh, they have to split up Pete is going to go find the artifact that he needs yeah. in the Isle of Noel. Yep. But because he's not going to remember Artie's directions, yep. uh, Micah goes along because she knows how to remember things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Which, like, I get. Um, you could have also just asked Pete to write it down. <laughs> right, like, he spends the whole time, like... Oh, yeah, I don't care, whatever. I've been to the warehouse before. Yeah, like... I, I like, Would it have been that hard for him not, to grab a pen? Right. This is not a lower-pressure situation than the last time you did inventory, Pete. 
take your time, write it down. Like, I get that Pete hasn't been a Secret Service guy for a while, but like, Micah has. She has a notepad on her. Yeah, like, and this is I like, promise. this is basic shit. Like, if you ask. Although Micah has that perfect memory, so yeah, maybe she like, doesn't have a notepad. If you ask someone for directions, you write them down. That's what. That's ba- thing one. Anyway. I found that if you. If you intentionally practice remembering directions, yeah. you can increase your capacity for remembering directions substantially. Yeah. Like, memory is a skill you can learn and train and practice. It's it's kind of weird, but it's, it's neat. Yeah. Like, there are... I Back back in school, I remember a, one of our teachers was like, hey, if you want to, like, stay after class or whatever, I'm doing... I have this video course on remembering things and it it went over like a bunch of tricks about stuff like yo the mind palace thing actually works yeah Uh, like people who memorize decks of cards tend to put them on some sort of map grid yeah and like that was the other thing i was gonna doesn't seem like it should be easier yeah but like your brain is like adapted to remember (laughs) things spatially yeah it's a lot easier to remember things you know you know, spatially than it is just remembering lists of things. Yeah, I used to uh, travel a lot and use directions a lot, and I always felt weird about uh, doing Google Maps turn-by-turn directions. Like, I find it very distracting because it's... Anytime something goes wrong, you weren't focused on driving, you were focused on the direction. Yeah. So, like, my habit was to read the direction list and just remember it. Mm -hmm. And you start to get really good at remembering directions after a while. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, it's definitely a thing you can just practice. Yeah, like, hell, it's it's wild to me that, like, like you said, there are... There are remembering contests where they will, like, shuffle a deck of cards, give give it to you, and then... You know, give it to you, let you look at it for a while, shuffle it again, and okay, now put it back in the first order. Go. Or give you like a second deck of cards. Like, okay, put it in that order. Yeah. Uh, and people do it. They, yeah. Fastest time to memorize and recall a deck of playing cards is 13.96 seconds. Damn. I don't know how you would demonstrate that you recalled them that fast. Well, because like you would have to. Yeah, do you, like, list? Do you, like, rattle them off? Or do you, like... Because there's no way you can manipulate a deck of cards that fast. Right. I mean, maybe if they let you look at them and then split them up into a sensible order. But, like, still, yeah, just moving the cards would be extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Contestants have a maximum of five minutes to memorize their deck and then another five minutes to recall. But this guy did it in 14 seconds. Yeah, like... Altogether. Uh, That doesn't make sense to me, but it's on the Guinness World Records site. Yeah, I would love to see how they verify that. Do they they just have him listed off? Like... Apparently, like, he did it in person. Yeah, yeah, but do they, like... I just don't know the system. Yeah, do they, like, ask you, okay, what order was it in, and have you say it out loud? Maybe. 
Dave Farrow of Canada memorized on single sighting a random sequence of 59 separate packs of cards. Uh, attempt took 4 hours, 58 minutes, and 20 seconds. Made just one mistake during the entire attempt, which he corrected unprompted. Wait, so memorize the order of 3,068 individual playing cards? Yeah, grouped into decks, so you do have a little bit of suggestion, like you, there are four of each card, you can, you know. It, he memorized 59 decks, yeah. not 59 mixed up decks. Yeah, but that's still really good. Oh, that's absolutely. That's still incredibly impressive. Yeah, and uh, the story, it, assuming this is the same guy and the record hasn't been broken recently, it, it looks like it hasn't. Yeah, the story is he arranges all of the decks onto a grid-based map mm -hmm. and uses that to recall them. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that memory can be, that you can use to manipulate your memory to behave a little better. Yeah. Uh, anyways... Uh, it's a weird hobby to have, though. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just gonna say me, it. I, I remember things recreationally. Right, it's my thing. I, I remember... Remembering I, stuff, that's my shit. I, yeah, like, you've heard of guys who pick things up and then put them down. I remember things and then recall, and then recall them later. <laughs> Which, I mean, I forget shit all the time. Maybe I should take up remembering. Uh, be one of those guys who can you know, remember 50 million digits of pi or whatever. Anyways... <laughs> I still want to do the thing where I print out the entire list of Wikipedia list of hobbies. <laughs> and, and do it one and every day. do one a day. Yeah. Uh, find your kitty like, It just seems like fun. Yeah. Uh, and then I could have done every hobby in existence. Yeah. Like, then, then you'll know which hobbies you do and don't like. Exactly. How are you going to know if you've never tried it? Yeah. It's, um... How else are you going to find out what you're good at? Uh, uh, something, something, you got to find your cutie mark by trying everything. A anyways. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, if we talk about my torrid horse-liker past, we'll be here all day. <laughs> uh, we go to formerly already now McPherson's office, where... Um, so... McPherson keeps bonsai trees, I guess, and already kind of, like, cathartically destroys one. Yep. You know, cut, cuts a branch or something, and, uh, I think he says something that's a reference to something, but I didn't write that down. Uh, and Claudia is at the computer, like, hacking away, and he's like, oh, good luck, I was a top NSA cryptographer, and then she breaks it. Right. And he's like, um, they must have, uh, they must have weakened the security since I left. Why? Why would they have done that, Artie? Uh, McPherson's bad at his job? <laughs> like, That's like an intentional act. Yeah, like, like, I could see changing the locks because, you know, I guess they don't want you working here. Well, I could see McPherson changing the locks, so to speak, because, you know. They, because Artie's in jail and apparently not allowed to do warehouse shit anymore. 
Right. Why did they inject him with the you melt goo if he's in jail for trying to recover the bloodstone? <laughs> and like, well, it's a... What was the case for he can't be back in the warehouse? Well, the case was McPherson is trying to get rid of Artie for evil reasons. Right. So McPherson doing it. Yeah, sure. But it seems like the regents ought to be involved at some point. Yeah, like, yeah. They ought to at least be aware. Yeah, Artie talks about, like, oh, McPherson convinced the regents to blah, blah, blah. Like, one of my key former employees is sitting in jail, and the other one is going out of his way to make sure that he can never return to work. Yeah, in jail for something we told him to do as part of the course of his duties, and we know this. (laughs) Right. Like, he's in prison because, like, be- because we- everyone involved knows he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it would make more sense if they at least thought he did something wrong. Yeah, but- But it wouldn't make sense for them to think that. Yeah, like, did they think Artie tried to kill the president? It wouldn't make any sense. Like, they know what he does at the warehouse, like- Right. Oh, he went there to capture the bloodstone. But while he was there, he decided he was going to knock off a president. Ugh. You never can guess these days. Yeah, like, because we saw, like, Pete was under the effects of an evil telegraph and nearly killed one of the regents, and the guy was like, yeah, no, I understand. Meh, that happens, happens in this line of work. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get it. Ugh. Bizarre. Yeah, and, and some and somewhere along this, Artie makes it clear to everyone that Pete Pete just has to touch the brush again. It does nothing happens if someone else touches it. Right. Uh. But he also discovers that the brush is missing. Ooh. It's not on the shelf. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, Pete and Micah get trapped in. What Micah basically describes as a Mobius strip? Yeah, she calls it a lemniscate. It's a... Imagine you're... Imagine, like... Imagine you you take a rubber band, you twist it, and you're kind of stuck on the inside. If you want, if you want to get out, you and your friend kind of run against the opposite edges and try to get it to break. Yeah, I've never heard this term. Oh, okay. Oh, it's just the infinity figure eight shape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, she could also cool. just say, like, we're trapped in, like, you know... There's no reason it has to be that specific lemniscate shape other than, you know, it sounds mathier than saying, you know, we're caught in a magic rubber band. Right. We're... We're in that scene in the labyrinth where you run along the wall and you come back to the same place every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, we have to talk about what's going on on screen when they're doing this. Yeah, it is, like, Pete and, like, they're fine actors, but, God, they cannot run in place convincingly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just, like, the... The halls just sort of, like, stretch whenever they try to run. Uh-huh. So that they run and get nowhere, but the hall seems to stretch until they give up running, and then it goes back to normal. hmm So they've been trapped 
in this thing, but running opposite directions apparently snaps the rubber band. Yeah. And they get thrown back into one another, but they're free. Yep. Sure, why not? And, uh... I, I really wish they would have done something different there. Like, you have to walk backward or something. You, you can't get to where you want to get to, so you have to intentionally go to the place you didn't want to go or something. Yeah. Like... Or... I don't know. I guess it's good because they had to do teamwork. Yeah, because, like... Yeah, because, like, Pete had to rely on Micah knowing math shit, I guess. Um, it doesn't... It's whatever. Now, here's what they could have done with three doors. Now... <laughs> uh, anyways. So, that happens, um... Do we talk about how it's how McPherson uses the riding crop to bronze Mrs. Frederick? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we mentioned that. Because he does do that, and then um, McFer- we come across McPherson about to bronze Artie and Claudia. And, uh... Which... Did you catch the UI on the bronzer? Uh... I don't think I did, because other than... It... It just has a page where there's two big buttons, one for single and one for double. (laughs) When did the bronzer become an espresso machine? Uh, Look, sometimes you're in a hurry and you need to bronze two people at once. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, like if you have... Yeah. If you have two folks and you want them to like, you know, you don't want one to get away while you're working the bronzer machine or whatever. But the bronzer just has shackles. If you've forced people to the bronzer and into the bronzer, you're probably under control. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, needless to say, I... uh, We've seen the bronzer UI before, and it didn't have a double mode. It is... It continues to be baffling. It's... (laughs) Right. Ugh. This is such a strange consideration. Uh, what focus group did they convene to talk about bronzer UX? Uh, look, we had some kid make this in Visual Basic. <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, so You know, hmm? having worked peripherally with, like, industrial equipment, like one-off stuff... Yeah. They just, they'll just take code from another piece of equipment they made, completely unrelated, and just shoehorn it in. Yeah. Yeah, why write a second thing? Right. But it just makes for the messiest ladder logic code you could possibly imagine. Yep. Yep. And they constantly come to us half-finished, too. So it's just like, here's this half-finished project. That most of the code here relates to a different project we were doing. Ah, uh, have fun. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> uh, it's bizarre. Uh, but so Artie and Claudia are getting bronzed. Um, so I have to assume whoever made the bronzer originally made the UI to an espresso machine, and they just changed the outline from two cups to two people. <laughs> Uh, 
you know, in case you need to bronze two folks at once. Like, come on, we got a lot of bronzing to do. We have a lot of war right. criminals and just random folks to do, I guess. Only one machine need a lot of bronze. Yeah. And, uh... But, and then McPherson uses his earthquake-causing staff when you hit it against the ground to, like, knock folks around. Pete did that. Yeah, there you go. that's what it is. It, yeah, he, he rocks on up like, hey, yo, uh, and uh, stomps the ground with the walking stick, which is one of the items he snagged, bagged, and tagged. Yeah, so the, where the hell is it? Like, where, where did it come from? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. He snagged it. But I guess we have those two other agents now. Yeah. That probably would have snagged it. Yeah, because they, they're also working on fighting Shakespeare's Lost Folio, which, uh, you know, previously Pete and Micah would have gotten. Right. Uh, but, um... But, uh, Oh. But um, basically, I think they, I think they bronze McPherson. I forget what I forget what they do to McPherson. No, uh, or they just ta- they Tesla him. Micah Tesla's him. McPherson runs off. Oh, all right. And Artie explains that he's likely at this hole to the core of the earth we use for heat. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so there's a whole. Th- oh yeah, yeah. He just ra- he just ran off and. They're like, should we unbronze Mrs. Frederick? And Artie's like, no, no, she'll keep. Nah, whatever. Like, she'll Who keep. Cares? We don't have time, I think, is his sentiment, which is probably correct. Right, but it seems strange. It's surprising to me that bad things didn't happen to the warehouse because they bronzed Mrs. Frederick. Yeah. Also, you'd think that, like, one of them would have stayed back and put her and unbronzed her. Right, it's not like you need a bunch of people to hang out. Yeah, like, it's pretty clear that the bronzer could be operated by one person. Yeah, the only difficulty is how do you explain to Mrs. Frederick what's going well, on? Well, like, no, she... But since McPherson she, forced her into the bronzer, she's not particularly on his side Yeah, right and now. also she knows what happened, because remember, when you're bronzed, you're fully conscious of what's happening. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, she so like, and the camera kind of so she's zo- fully conscious. Yeah, and the, the <laughs> yeah, and the camera kind of zooms in on her face because you know, of course, uh, you know, because like they make this decision in front of her, right? Where she can see and hear already saying this. Like, also, also, like, wouldn't her ability to show up behind people help? Like what? Yeah, you would. Think. Wouldn't you appreciate an extra set of hands? Yeah, we just got to the furnace where they just have a hole to the core of the earth. Yeah, which which is cool. Yeah, the layman vortex after the guy who I guess discovered the earth's molten core, and they've been using it to heat the warehouse since the forties. I guess. Cool. Yeah. Geothermal heat. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you, you don't have to dig to the core of the earth for this, though. You can get a pretty good amount of heat a couple hundred feet down. Yeah. Oh, you know, if you have this thing that's really hot in your warehouse already, you might as well have it heat the place. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so, basically, uh, McPherson has, has fi- figured out slash been told what's going on here. He wants to destroy the, uh, the upholstery brush so that... 
He wants to destroy the upholstery brush so that this timeline will stay forever. So at this point, he had his interrogation of Pete, where Pete said something about being in the uh, Christmas aisle. Yeah. And so McPherson just gathered every artifact in the Christmas aisle, yep. He's got- put it in a big Santa sack. Yeah, a, a big red bag. <laughs> and just... W- Planned on throwing each of these into the Earth's core. Yeah, pretty much. And he does, in fact, just kind of start throwing shit into the vortex. He's literally just going to destroy Christmas. Yeah, like... He's such a mustache-twirling villain. Uh, right. Uh, I'm, though... It does seem like these artifacts supposedly make bad things happen in a holiday-themed ways, so maybe it's not all that bad. Right, but there are there are some artifacts in the warehouse that are pretty important. We'll learn about that in our next episode. Fair enough. But like, they're not. It's not so much that they're dangerous to the world; it's that they need to be protected. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And uh, long story short, uh, there's this big trap door on the floor that opens up to the vortex. Uh, Claudia spends most of the scene trying messing with wires on the wall to try and hack it to get it to close, which like, as in like if you have like the hole that opens into the big dangerous thing, you would have a lot of big red buttons all over the place that would close it. Yeah, that's the that's the general gist, and like Claudia's in some like big contactor panel. Yeah, which. There's a row of identical ones, so you just have to work out which one's the right one. But, like, generally, if you have that level of access, yeah, it's just flip a test switch and it happens. Yeah, like every every piece of industrial equipment I've ever seen, down to, like, you know, the fucking drill press in my high school shop, like had a big red button that anyone could hit to make the thing close. To make the thing stop. So, I believe OSHA technically would not allow a door to close under an e-stop condition. Mm. It it can't do an action after you've hit the button. That that makes sense. Even if that action is the fail-safe. Reasonable, but why don't... It should be very easy to close the door. It's bizarre to me that, like, you have this incredibly dangerous thing, and there's no way to, like... Because, like, what's the protocol if someone, like, is falling in, or... (sighs) There are a lot of, like, better ways to design this that would have made this episode not happen, but... Right. (laughs) Regardless. But then you can't dramatically do supervillain shit dropping random Christmas artifacts into the hole. Yeah, pretty much. And then... Yeah, and then you can't have Artie appear from behind McPherson with the cloak to let you walk through walls, which, again, Pete and Micah snagged and bagged. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. So... So it's implied that... If Pete was never born, most of the artifacts that they snagged would have gotten snagged anyway. But how did Artie know about this? How did Artie know about this? Because it would have gotten snagged back after he went to prison. Right. And, like, 
It seems like a lot of artifacts people know about, but don't know where they are. Yeah. Until they start doing things with yeah. them. I'm trying to remember, because the Lenape, the Lenape, uh, like, shawl thing. Yeah. Or, uh, think, cloak. Yeah. Yeah. It, that was just in some guy's basement. Yep. Anyways, uh, so, long story short, um, McPherson, uh, Artie grabs the brush, uh, McPherson wrestles him to the ground, cuts off the, the magic necklace, Artie disintegrates into dust, with his dying breath throws the brush, Pete leaps, leaps into the air, and grabs it as he falls into the Earth's core, and then wakes up in the real world, uh, where he finds that everyone's been stowed in, they're not going anywhere, um, his whole family's here, all of his co-workers. Yep, we find out that, um, we find out that Vanessa is not going to Vegas, and so we don't have to worry about her and Hugo being together, and Pete hugs everyone, uh, it's very weird, uh, including hugging Miss Frederick, and they both agree that was weird and we'll never speak of it again. Um, Pete, don't hug people who don't want to be hugged. Like, there's, yeah, and like, there's a- Pete's spending the whole time doing the same thing he did when he was in another world. Refusing to acknowledge or uh, react to what other people have to say about his reality. Yeah, like, it's... And just, like, vibing by himself. Yeah, like, it's basic shit. Like, there's a difference between, like, oh, all right, all right, I'll hug you. Like, and don't don't hug Mrs. Frederick P. She clearly does not want to do it. And also, it's weird to hug your boss. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh... I think that... It's weird, because... He's clearly just trying not to admit that he touched something he shouldn't have touched. Yeah. But also, you can just say this, Pete. Like, no one's going to be surprised that you t you touched something you shouldn't yeah. have. And, like, he even has an excuse. Like, you know, something fell off a shelf and I put it back. Like... Right. You know, yes, I should have yeah, been... can we get these... Yes, I should have been wearing the gloves. That was irresponsible of me, but, like, hey, I'm back. A weird, you know, a weird artifact thing happened to me, and I'm fine now. Who's ready to do Christmas? Right. And instead, he's just like, if I had never been born, you'd be in jail, Artie. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's really patting himself on the back here, which is not really the lesson right. in It's a Wonderful Life, but, you know... It's a Wonderful Life is a wild oh, yeah, movie then, for several reasons, including how, like, extremely anti-capitalist it is. Okay. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever seen it? No, I like, haven't. Next, next holiday season when it comes on, because it's, it's always on, I recommend watching it because I watched it for the first time a few years ago, and it's, it's wild how blatantly anti-capitalist it is, like, to the point where, cool. like, the hero is, like, you know, a small savings and loan guy. And the villain is like an evil big bank guy who wants to buy him out and stick everyone in shitty houses. And like, it was anti-capitalist enough that it, the production, I think, got investigated by the FBI. Okay. FBI doing very important work, of course. You know, it was, 
Making sure that no one does uh, too much anti-capitalism. Yeah. That would be a bad thing. Yeah, which, you know, it it was the 40s. Right. Uh, yeah, but the FBI considered it communist propaganda. Hell which, yeah. You know you're doing something right if the FBI says it's communist propaganda. Yeah, like, it's... If it is on TV, it's worth a watch at least once. I'll give it that. Okay. Uh... But, uh, yeah, and so it ends with uh, everyone's on the couch. Pete's like, oh, I can't wait to watch the Christmas boxing match, which I guess is a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't recall that. But, yeah, Pete's all excited for a boxing match in Vegas. Yeah. Which, like, is that what Ari was supposed to be going to? Was no, he taking I, Vanessa on a date to a boxing no, I, match? No, I think they were, like, there's a lot of stuff in Vegas. I think they were just, you know... Yeah. I think they were just going to be at Vegas. Uh, doesn't really make any sense. I googled MGM Christmas boxing match, and I didn't really see anything. Um, but, um... But then we cut to the TV where It's a Wonderful Life is coming on. Pete screams, end of episode. Yep. Yeah, he's so disappointed he can't watch people punch each other in the face and instead has to watch a heartwarming story about, uh, about whatever it's about. Well, I haven't seen it well, yet. Well, like, the reason he's screaming is because he just lived the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, kind of? Like, in it's, in it's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey is, like, convinced not to kill himself and that his life has meaning and that he's helped people... Yeah, by an angel or whatever. But Pete didn't really do that. Like, he he was never... He didn't learn anything. It's very, very clear that he did not learn anything from this. Um, He was never, like... He never said... Usually when you have an It's a Wonderful Life episode, someone says, I wish I'd never been born. But Pete doesn't do that. He stumbles into this by accident as he does everything. Right. So I I think it's worth having a look at the trivia section of the uh, Warehouse 13 fandom oh, wiki. Oh, please do. Uh, for this episode, it's unknown when this episode takes place. It features trailer and mentions Steve departure, uh, placing it after the 40th floor, but cannot take place before or after stand, as that episode takes place October 27th, 2011. Huh? And Steve has not yet been resurrected. Wait, so Stan, you know, the last episode of the episode we talked about last week, takes... I didn't realize there was A, a date established, B, that the date was after the original air date. You said October 27th? Wikipedia yeah. says that episode yeah, aired October 3rd. Right. Yeah, so that's, uh... It's interesting that it's a specific date, but apparently it is. Bizarre. Uh, however, this episode is canon, as it's mentioned later. Uh, I don't know why they're so sure that Steve hasn't been resurrected yet. Well, you said, well, because they mentioned he's away. You wouldn't say someone's away if they're fucking dead. Right. Yeah, so I feel like he has been resurrected. Like, I feel like it has to have taken place a lot later. Really, I, I would have guessed it took place, like... You know, 
before the events of you know the series the season finale so the 40th floor is where trailer joins the mm. cast i believe yeah at least that would be why they uh suggest yeah. why they brought it up in the trivia yeah uh, so you can pretty strictly have a going forward from uh, the point where trailer shows yeah. up. Uh, but then where does that... When does Steve leave? Oh, okay. Steve leaves for 40th floor it, because that's when they're interrogating right. Sally and he pulls the gun. Uh when does Trailer join? It must have uh, been trailer jo- the episode before that. Yeah, because uh, remember, Sally Sadkowski is still alive when Trailer joins. R- remember, because she was the one who... Yeah. yeah. Trailer in Wisconsin on an artifact snag. Yeah, I'm not... Okay. Past Imperfect, so that's... Uh, August 22nd, 2011 yeah. was the air date. Yeah, so Past Imperfect was right before 40th floor. Yeah, so we know Past Imperfect happened. Uh, and we know the date of Stand. Well, so... Apparently. Assuming the, I don't know how we know the date of Stand. Well, so assuming, assuming the other episodes are in chronological order, which they would have to be, then this, epi- then this happens between Past Imperfect and the 40th floor. Because Steve is still... Still presumably works for the warehouse, but we have trailer. I'm I'm expecting that that would put us too far back in time for it to be Christmas 2010. Well, yes, but like, yeah, there's clearly I don't think you can fit this in a timeline, but apparently it is canon because it's referenced later in non uh, in non Christmas episodes. Yeah. It is what it is. Also, Artie said, according to the manual, the bronzing process is painless. Yeah. However, in McPherson, Artie says there's no information on the bronze sec- sector in the manual so that people don't find mm-hmm. out. Uh, okay, apparently I was mistaken. The Greatest Gift was re-aired in the vacated 10-9 time slot that was left uh, by Haven because Haven's penultimate episode was going to air, but the subject uh, matter was a little too close to Sandy Hook to mm. be uh, acceptable for television at the time. That makes sense. So yeah, they just reran Eureka and Warehouse 13 uh, Christmas episodes instead. <sighs> uh, also, apparently... Artie asks Pete if he touched a brush, and Pete's like, "Oh yeah, it fell on me when I uh, yeah, it fell on was his doing leg. the thing." And he he just straight up picked it up, like yeah. he yeah. very obviously picked it up with his bare hands. Yeah. But that might have just been him saying, "Oh yeah, I uh, like not wanting to admit to his mistake." Yeah. Anyway, which I I don't know. It's kind of interesting to think about. I don't know if Ar- if Pete would tried to deflect from his mistake. I've never... I can't recall any time Pete's done that. What? Pick something up? No, like, just try and conceal things to hide his own mistake at work. I mean... 
Like, that's just not a thing this show does. Yeah, like, I can see it for Pete. He does seem like the kind of guy who would do that. Yeah, I mean, it's a convenient lie, so it's just easier to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, I get why people do it. It's just not... A, I'm realizing that we basically... The only time I can think of where they show Pete actually, like, screwing up something is when he's trying to chase down Valda. Mm -hmm. <sighs> like, I don't know how he reacts to making mistakes. I mean, Pete does absolutely seem like the kind of guy who, like, we know he likes to touch things that he should not touch. Oh, yeah. And I think it's, at I... the very least he's internalized that he shouldn't admit to this. He's like, he knows he's not supposed to yeah, fucking do it. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Uh. Anyways. Uh, anything else? Or, uh, we good here? I think we're good. Fair enough. Uh, and to all of you out there, have a happy May or June or whenever this airs. Yeah, probably June. <sighs> Maybe I'll make it, uh... June 25th or whatever. Maybe it'll be Christmas, except half Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, truly it was a Warehouse 13. I've been the Internet's beloved Princess Grace. You can find my writing programs, podcast posts, and everything else that's fit to plug at princess.software. Timmy, where can we find you? I'm Timmy at George.horse. That's about it. Fair enough. See y'all next week where we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 1, and whatever the hell happens there. The return of Steve? The return of the warehouse? Who knows? I mean, we have a pretty good idea. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child gonna spy to see if reindeer truly know how to fly and so I'm offering this very simple